Welcome to A Journey to Inner Wisdom. This is Crystal, wisdomologist and the host of this podcast. As with any journey, there are many ways to get to where we are going. In this journey to inner wisdom, there are many tools, practices, paths, and possibilities, guides, and mentors. Some we search for, some we, bu- some we bump into, and some are just set down plunk in front of us, whether we're looking or not, or whether we want them or not. I will explore some of these tools, practices, paths, and possibilities, and interview guides and mentors who may have an influence on your journey. On my own journey, I continue to discover both ordinary wisdom and extraordinary wisdom, but more importantly, it's probably the ordinary wisdom that's right in front of my nose every day. We all have a different journey. What may strike one of us may not resonate with someone else. Our task is to be aware and awake in order to notice the invitations that are in front of us, even if the situation is not very pleasant. Today, I'm talking with Melissa McCormick, author of The Queen's Daughter and Thick Skin. And Thick Skin is a three-part continuation of The Queen's Daughter, as well as her uh, Melissa answering questions. And the third part is about her spiritual journey. So welcome, Melissa. It's so great to be able to have a conversation with you today. Thanks, Crystal. Mm-hmm. So, but before we start, I want to tell our listeners a little bit about you. So let me give them some background information. Melissa was born and raised and still lives in Windsor, Ontario, Canada. At the age of 19, she was returning home from a night out with her friends in Detroit, Michigan, when she became stranded on the freeway just minutes away from the Detroit-Windsor Tunnel. She was subsequently robbed at gunpoint, kidnapped, and over a terrifying 12-hour period, gang-raped repeatedly. Working closely with the Detroit police, the perpetrators were brought to justice, and three of the men remain incarcerated today. Melissa's Canadian best-selling book, The Queen's Daughter, describes in detail the assault and the aftermath of being a rape victim. Melissa is past president of the Windsor and Essex County Sexual Assault Crisis Center, past president of the Windsor Women's Economic Forum, founding member and past president of the Ladies Exclusive Alliance, and a former Rotarian. She is the recipient of numerous awards and honors for her work in the nonprofit sector, and is the 2009 Athena Award recipient sponsored by the Windsor and District Chamber of Commerce. In June 2015, Melissa was awarded an honorary Doctor of Laws degree from the University of Windsor and addressed the graduates with her inspiring message at the 103rd Convocation. At the end of 2005, she closed her successful retail business after 20 years to devote herself to the cause and to represent all the victims who do not yet have the courage to stand up and speak out. So today we are going to chat with Melissa about her life story. And of course, that was a pretty pivotal pivotal event, which wasn't just one kind of event and it was over, was it? It was a long, a long process for you. So um, yeah, so tell us a little bit about, about your journey, Melissa, please. Well, the, the most difficult thing um, to tell her at the time, we're looking back at 1976. I'm a, obviously a much older woman now, 
but um, things were, were very different back then. You know, there was that, uh, you know, Windsor, Detroit border uh, situation. I mean, it was very common for young people to go over there and, mm. and you know, visit the clubs and the restaurants. And uh, I was there with six, uh, there were six of us all together, five women. So, you know, a night out on the town was very common. What I didn't realize was that on my way home, getting a flat tire on the freeway in Detroit put me in a very vulnerable position. Um, I was lucky enough to have a Good Samaritan stop and help me change the tire. Uh, we were approached by uh, several, you know, different cars, you know, pulling up and a gang of guys came out with guns, brandishing handguns. We were both robbed at gunpoint. Um, you know, I was taken by these men uh, during the course of 12 hours to two different locations and I was repeatedly beaten and and raped by all of the men, you know, and so I mean that is a, a an absolutely life altering experience. I mm. just mm. 19 years of age so I was an innocent uh, young woman who was looking forward to my future looking forward to a life I was brought up in a very strict Serbian Orthodox home so I had my path you know, my value system was in place, everything, and it all fell apart that night. My whole life changed like night and day. Now, the most difficult thing that I had to deal with was the fact that I actually lived through it. I was mm -hmm. threatened constantly with my life. I was shot at twice during that that 12 hour period. I was threatened constantly with my life. The gun was pointed at, at my head the entire time these men took turns, you know, raping me. And I actually begged the gang leader to kill me. That's how much I wanted to die. And when he allowed me to live, which I think he only did because it was against what I wanted, um, you know, I begged him to kill me. And he said, you die when I say you die, not hmm. when you want to die. Hmm. And, uh, and then after so much time, I, I don't know, you go into survival mode, you just do what you have to do. It's automatic. And I was able to convince him to let me go. And wow. I was released the next morning. So, wow. yeah, that's well, when the hard part started. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Well, your, your book is amazing. And um, I know you'll probably talk a little bit more about it, but I really recommend it to people to have a read because um, for two reasons, one, if if you've if a woman has experienced rape, it's a must read. She needs to read it to be able to find her voice and to to find a path to healing. And secondly, if if a woman has not experienced rape, to understand the violence behind that act and to be able to have some compassion for women who have suffered um, that violence. Mm -hmm. And then I think the third thing is. For men to read it to realize how um, how devastating the experience is, and how how there's a the power um, imbalance that occurs mm -hmm. when when rape occurs. I think that all of all of that is depicted very well in the book. You're a great writer. I really um, enjoyed enjoyed the book. Enjoy isn't the right word. I know. I know exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yes, yes. I was. I was totally into the story and like my heart was just breaking thinking about your mother and your sister mm -hmm. most of all you but everyone around you who was impacted by the story yeah. so 
so I think that, yeah, you're right. And then the story continues after you're released because that really was the beginning of a journey, wasn't it? Oh, yes. And and going back to 1976, uh, sexual assault was not something you talked about. It was right. absolutely a taboo subject. And it was such a highly publicized case. I did not have a chance to even, you know, stay by myself and, and, and try and forget what happened. I, I mean, you never do forget, but I thought at that time that, that I would be able to at least, you know, calm down a little bit. But the press were constantly calling me for, for you know, my, my, uh, my story and my opinion. Uh, it, it was all over the news. Um, also, back in 1976, there were racial tensions in Detroit. Right. My, my being, you know, me being a Black, uh, I'm sorry, a white woman, and all the assailants being Black, there was that, that racial uh, component, which was really, really, you know, uh, highly publicized. Personally, uh, it was not it had nothing to do with race. Rape is rape and it has nothing yep. to do with race. Not to mention, I, and I said this to many reporters, the good Samaritan that stopped to help me was a black man. Mm -hmm. He was a good and kind man. And he was actually uh, robbed at gunpoint. He was tied up and thrown in the hatchback of my car. And then, and then they threw him out on the highway as it was proceeding down the highway. So he actually untied himself, walked back to his car and reported it to the police. So, at the time, the police were actually looking for me, kind of, you know, they knew mm -hmm. report about a, a Canadian woman with the description of the car and everything. But, you know, with Detroit being such a big city, I mean, yeah. Yeah. what are the chances? Exactly. So, you know, it wasn't a racial thing to me at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was just a violent, it was a violent act. Yes, absolutely. Yes. yes. Yeah. And so um, it's interesting, you know, we talked briefly about this, that you were in a situation where you had to use your voice because you were stuck in another country, in a foreign country. Yes. And you didn't know how to get home. Exactly. I didn't know where I was either. I had no idea if I was even still in Detroit. I had no idea. And, uh, and you're right. I found, I found the police. They let, let me go. I drove away. I found a police car. I stopped. And of course I asked for help and he knew right away who I was. He saw the car and he said, are you the woman last night that was abducted on the freeway? From there, I went to the Detroit police. Now you have to remember at that time, I felt like my life was totally over. Yeah. The only thing that kept me going was knowing that I, I was going to testify against these guys so that they wouldn't be able to do it to anybody else. That was the only thing that kept me alive at that time. Mm -hmm. I was totally, totally in a, very dark dark suicidal state like it, it was horrible it was horrible so from there melissa you, you now work with um women who have experienced violent rape who have been assaulted that really has become your your life's mission so here we are it's 2022 it's like how many years later it's like 35 40, 45? <laughs> wow. 45? Yikes. So 45 years, a lot, a lot has happened on your journey in 45 years. What have been the, um, because I know, I mean, you know, we started this conversation and we're laughing before we started to record. We're talking about our grandkids. We're talking about family. You have a great life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I and did. 
You do. And so talk about how you came from that moment of being suicidal mm -hmm. and thinking your life was over and all you wanted to do was get some justice so no, no other women would not suffer the same thing to now where you're helping other women, you have this great life. There's a big mm -hmm. journey in the middle there. What, tell us about that journey. First of all, I, I just want to let the listeners know that it's never a quick journey. It mm. takes time. I have been in and out of counseling for 40 years, and I welcomed any kind of counseling that I could get. Like, and you know, you have to you have to realize that there are good counselors and there are not so good counselors. You know, like psychiatrists, yeah. psychologists, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's it's a journey in the sense that you can't stop trying to learn and understand the meaning behind you know, tragedies and violence and evil. Being brought up in a very, uh, very strong Christian home, uh, that part of my life was probably the most difficult journey because I stopped believing in God completely after what happened to me. Mm. I, I attended church uh, regularly. My father was the cantor in the church. I sang in the church choir. Uh, like it was a regular part of my life. And I totally lost all faith in God and, you know, in, in everything. So that journey, and I slowly became, uh, I, I slowly, um, what, how am I trying to explain? It, it opened up to me, that world opened up to me in slow doses, realizing that I do believe in God. I do believe there was a reason for what happened and I had to find out why. And so a lot of my spiritual journey went in that direction. So. So that's interesting that, um, because that the third part of your book is about your spiritual journey right right yes yes and so so what would have been because you know we're talking about the journey to inner wisdom and so for me that is really a journey a soul journey you know mm -hmm. it's like so you hear this all the time like we're we are spiritual beings uh having a human experience and so for so so many centuries we looked at our physical self and and i think it's only been maybe in the last 50 years we began to really look at not that we didn't look at our soul we did look at our soul because we have religion and we have all of that but on a deeper level it's like okay who am i really and and i am my soul and so it's really discovering that that inner self and so that is really um the main journey that we're on that allows us then to live a rich physical human life yes yes so, so so talk a little bit more if you if you don't mind about that that spiritual journey and you know maybe some of the things that the mentors or guides that have helped you to really reconnect with that that mm -hmm. your soul your soul self well you know i just knew in my heart I just knew in my heart, and I, I can't even explain how, but I knew in my heart there had to be a reason that I went through what I went through mm -hmm. and lived to tell about it. Because most, and I've been told by the Detroit police over and over that it's still the worst case of sexual assault in Detroit history because nobody lives through something like that to talk about it. Right. So, so it's still up there and it's still referred to to this day when they talk about sexual assault. So I'm thinking, well, what is the reason? Why would I be going through that? I don't understand. So 
you know, although, you know, I stopped believing in God, these little things started to come into my life. And one of them was, of course, uh, wanting to learn more about sexual assault. Mm -hmm. So, of course, I went to the bookstore on my lunch hour. I would go I would go to the library constantly trying to find something that would help me to understand what was going on because I was a mess. Mm -hmm. And I came across I came across several books over the years and uh, books that made a huge difference in in the way that I proceeded to help myself. Mm -hmm. And one of the, like, this is before the self, self-help industry became really popular. The very first self-help book I was ever introduced to was called Your Erroneous Zones by Wayne Dyer, Dr. Mm -hmm. Wayne Dyer, who of course became a quite a, a spiritual uh, mentor in, in future years. But this book was, was profoundly um, important in my journey because it actually gave me the the hope that I could control how I felt about certain things mm -hmm. and that had never been spoken of before you know uh, as far as religious books were concerned I was always open to trying to to find out what the meaning of God was and I came across my my sister actually introduced me to this book I think it was in my I think it was my early 20s I think and it was called Three Magic Words. To this day, that is my favorite, favorite book of all time. It's written by U.S. Anderson. Um, it's, I have gone through at least 20 copies, like they're paperback copies, and I read it so often that I, you know, like they, they wear out, I have to buy another copy, that wears out, and I'm, I'm probably on my 20th copy right now. And I always refer to that book when I have certain questions. Oh. And it's amazing when you read a self-help book, you can read it one year and get one, one message from it. Yes. Read it five years later, it's a totally different message. Yes, yes. As we're growing during those years. So I, and I, to be honest, with you, I never read nonfiction books. I only read uh, uh, self-help books, uh, books on religion. I'm, by the way, I went back to university and studied religious, you know, I majored in theology, religious studies. And I am well versed on all religions of the world because I had to find out what the answers were. Cool. Wow. So I believe in self-education. Good for you. <clears throat> so three magic words. I don't think I know that book. Oh, it's, 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 uh, it's to, to be honest with you that the, the uh, book was written, I believe in 1954. It's one of those older, older yeah. books. Uh, it's all about, uh, they call it, they called it back then, they called it new age philosophy, but it's, yeah, it's about yeah. spirit. It's about how, how everyone has a purpose in life, how truth is, is, you know, always there no matter what, and you can't change the truth, the truth. And to be a better person, you just have to do the right thing. It, it's absolutely the most profoundly uh, spiritual. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know what it was about that book because it resonated with me from the very beginning. Well, I'm going to have to find it. Oh, you, yeah. you have my curiosity peaked on yeah. that one. Wow. Definitely. Wow. <clears throat> well, I know that over the years that you really have um, focused on helping other women. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, once the book, The Queen's Daughter came out, um, and I thought the book was going to be surrounded by negativity the same way that, the, you know, when the trial it wasn't in progress and that kind of thing. People were so mean. I mean, mm. the negativity that was directed at me and, and my family was just 
just undescribable. And, you know, of course, the only thing that kept me going was knowing that I would be able to stop them from doing, doing it to anyone else. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was, uh, you know, for sure. But um, I, I expected that the book would be surrounded by negativity as well. Mm -hmm. And I did like, um, I did make it a quick read for the purpose of uh, the fact that it is so disturbing. Like it's, it was way more violent in real life than what I described in the book, way worse. But, you know, I felt that it had to be heard because everyone wanted to write the story for me back then. Like, like I was approached by publishers and writers and ghostwriters and they wanted to write the story, but I felt it had to be written from my heart. Hmm. So that's why I insisted on writing it myself. Mm -hmm. So once the book came out, I started getting calls and emails and letters and from people all over the world asking me questions. Wow. Because believe it or not, back in 2004, uh, when the book first originally came out, um, it was a subject that nobody talked about. So I was kind of like a pioneer in that sense. Yep. And uh <laughs> You know, like the, the questions that were asked of me were questions that I had already asked myself and had worked through, through counseling, mm -hmm. um, you know, that kind of thing. So I was able to help others in answering those questions. Mm -hmm. And as time went on, it grew and grew and it became this nonprofit organization that that helped thousands of, of uh, victims over the years, thousands of them. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. There's a little bit of that in the um, the short film Determined that people can find on YouTube um, that the questions that were being asked by the interviewer, mm -hmm. you, you were very clear. Well, the actress was very clear, but I think those are your words um, in terms of you obviously had worked through a lot of of those questions that that came up. So. Uh and that's the gift then that, that you give to other women when, when they reach out to you. Yes. And I think, uh, I think uh, victims of crime or any kind of trauma, they, they think that they should feel better like right away. It just doesn't work that way. It's a process and it takes time. And, and it, you may lear learn a little bit this week and then two weeks later, you might learn a little bit about yourself and a little bit more. And uh you know, some people just don't understand that mental health issues as a, as a result of going through something like what I went through, it just takes time and work and effort and understanding. Yeah. I, you know, when I did the podcast on uh, grief, there was a book that um, I talked about and it was called, it's okay that you're not okay. Mm. And I think it's the same the same is true when you're going through a traumatic experience like this is that people need to realize that you're not going to be okay right yeah. away. And it's okay to not be okay. Mm -hmm. And to take the time that you need to do to do the healing. Mm -hmm. um, one, one of the things we talked about earlier that I I've been thinking about is um, vulnerability, because you were you were in a very vulnerable position. And I was thinking about Renee, Brown's work on vulnerability and I was thinking it's almost like there's a little bit of a clash in terms of two different ways of looking at vulnerability like you do not want to be in a vulnerable vulnerable position as you were in and yet to really be in touch with who we are it's important to be vulnerable so anyways could you talk about vulnerability a little bit 
Yes, to me, um, if you're vulnerable, you are a target. You know, um, and and per perpetrators look for vulnerability in in certain areas, and and we're not talking about like I my personality is not a vulnerable type personality. Like I I tend to be strong and outgoing, but I was in a vulnerable situation. I was alone on a freeway um, at night. Uh, with no no defenses, uh, you know, in a, in a city that wasn't even even my residential city, so it put me in a vulnerable position. And of course, you know, being with, you know, in a situation with multiple men and guns, of course, I was vulnerable. So I'm I mean I mean it's it's perfect situation for somebody who's trying to look for someone a victim, but um, in life in general. In order to learn, you have to have some vulnerability within yourself. Right. That, and, what, and how I interpret that is having an open heart. As long as you're open to learning and and uh, um, you know making changes within yourself and looking at the other side or looking at the big picture, that is what uh, having an open heart, heart and vulnerability is also. And that's how you learn and grow. So really, the two that have in common, the two vulnerabilities. Uh, the one common factor is you grow and learn from each situation. Right. And that's what life is all about is growing and learning. And I think that the difference is that the vulnerability that uh, where you're talking about in terms of growing and learning is really about being, having a safe space to be vulnerable. Yes. Yes. And you know how to have a safe space by knowing who you are. And, and by knowing who you are, we're, we're talking about, like when I teach victims, how do I know who I am? You know, it's really simple. All you have to start is saying, you know, having two columns, one, one thing, uh, uh, what I like, what I don't like. And then you start, you start putting it, putting a list together, you know, and, and it's amazing how that all comes together. You know, like I, I don't like men who, like, I would never go out with a man that didn't like dogs i'm sorry you know what mm -hmm. i'm an animal lover if somebody's not an animal lover i'm not going to go out with them so you know it's as simple as that you know <laughs> i don't like to eat this kind of food so i'm not going to go eat it right it, it's very simple but then you get into it when after you go through all the simple things you go into the deeper things and we're talking about morals ethics right and wrong how you want your life to perceive what things are important to you what things make you happy what what things make you feel joy that's when you get into the deep work and that's when you really evolve into the person that you were meant to be right right cool um the the other thing that i wanted to just comment on was how you how people use their voice because you have really used your voice not only in the beginning where you spoke out, but over the years, you've continued to use your voice. And I think that now with your publishing company, you are encouraging women to use their voices. Absolutely. I think using my voice is actually what saved my life because with being rescued by the police and going to the police station right away, telling my story, uh, you know, going through the lineups, you know, to identify these men, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I was forced to do that at the time. I was forced because like I, naturally any victim thinks, oh, I just want to go home. I want to forget this ever 
happened. Um, I don't ever want to deal with it again. But you know what? It always comes back to haunt you. You have to deal with what's going on. And by being open and talking about it is the only way to do it. Mm -hmm. So um, I was forced to do it. And then it was a rebelliousness in my personality that like, mm -hmm. I was constantly criticized for what I'd gone through, even though I was the victim in this case. And, you know, like people would say, like, you could hear them talking behind your back, you know, and I became rebellious and I thought, you know what, at least I'm alive. So damn it, I'm going to st stick up for myself. And it was, you know, I'd go up to people and I'd say, oh, you were just talking about me. Well, yeah, yeah. I was the girl that got raped that night. Yeah. And I'm here and blah, blah, blah. You know, just, just to, it was like my way of saying F you, you know, yeah, like, yeah you know, like, just, just give me the respect I deserve. Like people were constantly looking at me, feeling sorry for me and things like that. That was the worst thing I ever had to deal with. But anyway, so I used my voice in a rebellious way. Then it got to the point where I used my voice in a way that um, allowed other victims and other women to step forward and say, hey, if she can talk about it, so can I. And if she is open about it, I can be open about it too. And so I set an example for other victims to be able to do that. And I have never been afraid to talk about it because I got so used to it. And not only that, but one question that's very often asked of me, how did you ever tell your kids, you know, what you went through? Like I have three adult children mm -hmm. now. I was always open about what happened to me from the time, like, you know, from the time that they were young. Uh, and I just matter of factly, you know, you know, said, this is what happened kind of thing, you wow. know, and because I was so open about it and open about, you know, the, the PTSD I was suffering and things like mm -hmm. that, you know, all three of my kids understood that this was, this was mom, you know, yep. and yep. It is, so. Wow. And, and it's interesting about the PTSD because, I mean, this was 1976 and PTSD wasn't officially recognized until 1980 exactly yes yeah and so i mean it was recognized to some extent with the vietnam vets during the 70s that when it was just beginning to be talked about and obviously it's been around for centuries mm -hmm. but in terms of being recognized as something that really is devastating to lives well, do you know, you know, Crystal, it's funny because in 1982, mm -hmm. the movie Rambo First Blood came out mm -hmm. and I went to see the movie and honest to God, that to this day, it's one of my favorite movies because that is the first time I was ever exposed to the idea of post-traumatic stress. And I cried my eyes out thinking, oh my God, that's how I feel, wow. you know? wasn't it was unbelievable uh oh. i still watch it to this day to be honest with you that movie it, sometimes if i'm in a mood and i want to feel strong i put on that movie and uh it still makes me feel like this is just part of what i went through feeling this way hmm. and, it, hmm. and it comes back to you know like even though it's been 40 some odd years that's part of my life uh, absolutely absolutely i mean it's like it's 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 like a scar a physical scar you know if you touch it you can be taken back to whatever it was that, and so you have this, well, probably physical as well as emotional scar. It can be just triggered just like that because it's Absolutely. embedded. Yeah. Yeah. In the brain. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to understand that unless you've gone through it. Like a lot of people, you know, thought PTSD, what are you talking about? That's bullshit. You know what? It's so real. I cannot, I cannot tell you. Yeah. As I talk to victims and they, 
they give me certain uh, indications of what they're feeling. It's it's normal that I felt that way too. And just hearing somebody that's been through it to say, I felt that way also, it just feels good to know that you're not alone. That's right. And I'll tell you the most, the, uh, out of every single person I've ever talked to uh, who has been sexually assaulted or, you know, domestic abuse, whatever, I have never had one woman that I canceled that didn't say that she thought about suicide. That's part of going through what you go through. Not a hundred percent of everybody has always said to me, well, I do feel suicidal. Sometimes I feel like I have no purpose in life. I, you know, it's mm -hmm. common. You'll get over it. You know, I felt the same way, you know, wow. and then purpose will come into your life and, and then you'll know where to go. Just be open to it. Well, I mean, those women are lucky that they, that who have found you and that have been able to talk to you. There's a lot of people who think I'm a quack too, though, Crystal. <laughs> they think I'm nuts. <laughs> oh, I told one young lady, I told one young lady who's suffering, which is so suffering. I finally told her, like, I, I don't necessarily believe in structured religion, but I'm very spiritual. And, and mm -hmm. you know, and I said, well, maybe you should think about possibly you know, inviting God into your life or looking at the spiritual mm. aspect of life. I never heard from her again. <laughs> she totally was turned off because she was not brought up with any religion, thought I was a total quack and I've never heard from her again. So wow. you know, there's a lot of things that, that sure. have to be ready to hear too. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to be ready to hear it, but, and when you're not, it's like, I'm out of here. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh boy. This is, this is, uh, this has been great, Melissa. Um, and I'm sure we could go on and on and on with many, many things, but, um, I do want to thank you for being on the podcast today. Your perseverance and determination is for me, breathtaking, um, as it's guided you on your journey. And obviously it's guided many, many other women who have, who have been on a journey as well of healing. So um, any last words for our listeners? I just want everyone to know that they're not alone. You know, we all mm. suffer and the suffering is purposeful in the sense that it moves you to the next level of learning and never stop learning in your life. I plan to keep learning and growing and educating myself to the day I die. Mm -hmm. So it's all good. It's all that's good. It, it really, it, that's so true. It's, it really is about learning from whatever experience has has occurred fantastic so thanks again and thanks to all of you who are listening today all of my listeners and if you if you know someone who is suffering in silence as a result of rape or sexual assault or domestic violence please recommend melissa as a resource for healing and you can find her social media connections on the podcast page today uh, all of her connections are there and I hope you will join me next time as I continue to explore the ABCs of the journey to inner wisdom. If you're interested in delving deeper into wisdom, I am offering a 10-week Enneagram program in October and again in January. And if you're interested in learning more, check out the, my webpage, journeytoinnerwisdom.ca. Hope to see you next time. Bye-bye.